Um, it doesn't matter if you are my student or if you are my mom or if you are a stranger that I meet at the grocery store. If I get a chance to like teach you about this, I'm going to I'm going to teach you about it because I, I love it. Um, in my history class and in regards to history, one of my favorite things to teach about is colonialism. I just love that, that time period. I, I think it's very fascinating. I think it explains so much about the world that we live in today. Like if you want to know why this country is, is like this or why, or why this nation or this group of people um, has problems with this one, uh, you can almost always trace it back to colonialism and that'll explain it to you. That you will be able to understand our world today better by just looking back uh, like two to 300 years um, at that time period. So I love teaching about that. Um, if anyone brings up comic books, I love teaching about comic books. I, I collect them, I, I read them, and I feel like they're super underappreciated. Like I, if more people just like gave them a shot, I think that they would really, I think they would really enjoy them. So if I get a chance to talk about comic books, I'm gonna go all in and, I, and I'm gonna share with you about it. Um, I really love um, talking about like social justice and feminism. That's something that I'm really, I'm really passionate about. I feel like, I feel like much in the same way that like uh, comic books can be underappreciated. I'm like, man, women are underappreciated in our world, and I and I want them to be treated equally, and I want them to be empowered. So I love getting to to teach about that. But as much as I love comics, and as much as I love teaching about colonialism, as much as I love women, I guess um, <laughs> my uh, my favorite thing to teach about is Jesus, and I love teaching about God's love for His people, and that's why I'm really excited about this series uh, that we are in at Crossroads because we get to talk about a God who loves his people very much. So our series now to, uh, for the next month is Dear John. And our plan for this series is this. We are going to be embracing the love of God while embracing others with God's love for them. We will be embracing the love of God while embracing others with God's love for them. So what we get to do is we get to practice receiving God's love and then we get to love others the way that God loves them. That's, that's our goal here. Um, and I think it's a very honorable goal. John, uh, who dear John is named about, was a dis named after. He was a disciple of Jesus. And he was one of Jesus' closest friends. And for the next uh, four weeks, we get to walk in the footsteps of John. And we get to read his writings uh, to other people that like loved Jesus as well. We get to read the wisdom that John wanted to impart on them, and John's going to teach us how to be Jesus followers and how we should live, uh, how you should have lived not only then, but also today. The, the writings are still applicable. So um, if you don't know a lot about the disciple John, that's okay. I'm going to tell you one of the things that really stands out about this guy. John loved talking about love. He loved teaching about love. Just like my favorite thing to teach about is God, that was, that was John's favorite thing to teach about was love. And that's pretty cool because at Crossroads, we love talking about love and showing it as well. In fact, we want to love God and love people. That's our goal. You can see it over there on, on the walls on either side of me. John, that was his goal as well. In fact, in his three letters that he wrote, uh, he mentions the word, word love 33 times. And the letter that we're going to be in a lot, and just, you know, his letters aren't that long. So 33 times is a lot. But the letter that we're going to be in the most is First John where the word love gets mentioned 26 times. And the fact that John would spend so much time uh, writing letters about love, it's not really a surprise to us because in the Gospel of John, which is where John tells the story of Jesus, he actually re refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Um, that's, what, that's what he um, calls himself. And I think what's really cool about that is that it's not just John 
who is the one whom Jesus loved. I think that's each and every one of you as well. You should feel confident to refer to yourself as the one whom Jesus loved. So some of you in here have maybe never uh, ex- um, never sought out or um, even believed uh, that God loves you that way. Um, or maybe sometimes you forget that God loves you like this and you need a few reminders. And that's what this series is going to be. And really today is going to be for you. So if that's you and you're like, I don't know if God really does love me like that. Or I don't know if I believe in this love that God gives. This morning is for you. Because we're going to start off our series uh, by talking about embracing God's love for us and the love that God wants to show to us. Because if we're going to love others well, which we'll be talking about as this series goes on, we need to first know that God loves us well. And we need to understand um, that. And so the lens and the context that we're going to be looking at this love through and the love that we're going to talk about is God's love as a good father. How God loves us as a father loves his children. And I think that it's good that we get to start here. Um, until Jesus, um, Jesus, the Son of God, stepped onto the pages of history in the, in the first century, uh, most people saw gods not as good fathers, or God or gods, whatever they may have believed in. Gods were usually seen as very distant beings, very unknowable beings um, that could not be understood, beings that were very difficult to please. People were constantly trying to appease the gods so that the gods would treat them favorably and, and wouldn't, wouldn't harm them or, or cause bad things to befall them. And then Jesus came onto the scene and he spoke about God very differently. First, he described himself as, as the son of God. And that was, that was pretty big in, in itself, someone to call themselves the son of God. But Jesus actually took it a step further as well. Um, what he would do is uh, he would refer to God as his father, but then he would encourage his followers to do the same. In fact, when he teaches the, uh, his followers how to pray, he says, call God your father. Okay, he says, this is how you should pray, our father in heaven. Um, or our Father who art in heaven. That's how I learned it as a kid. Um, That's how Jesus uh, told his followers to refer to God. And this was pretty strange for them because God and and gods were uh, difficult to understand and very big and very distant um, at this this time period. Uh, I I hope that you know that you can refer to God as your Father, though. It was very strange for the disciples to hear that. I hope it's not strange for you. I hope that you can take Jesus' words to heart. And I hope that you know that when um, Jesus describes God as a father, that he's referring to him as a good father. Sometimes it can be difficult for those of us who, um, people here on earth who maybe uh, have not had a good father or who have had a a distant or even absentee father to understand um, how good this father is. But I want you to know that God is a father unlike any other. And if you want to know what this God the Father is like, Jesus actually explained that to his followers as well. Um, Jesus would then, um, he would tell people, if you want to know what God is like, God the Father, he would say, look at me. He said, look at me because this, this God who maybe you don't fully understand or, or you don't fully feel like you can know, I, I'm here to look like him. I'm going to act like him. So if you want to know what I, I am him, right? If you want to know what God the Father is like, Jesus would say, look at me. Uh, if you want to know how God your Father feels about you, look at how I treat you. If you want to know how God the Father looks at the, um, uh, looks at the poor and how he feels about the poor, look how I treat the poor. If you want to know how he feels about women, look how I treat women. 
you want to know how he feels about sinners, well, I'm the doctor for, the, for them, okay, and look at, look at me. Um, and that was really cool because um, God before had felt invisible and intangible, and Jesus came, and he was very visible, and he was very tangible, and he came to show what God the Father was like and who he was. So I'm not sure if you believe in God, but when I look to the example that Jesus sets for God, then I see that God loves me and that he loves you. And God is near to me and God is near to you. Um, I have one example of God being a really, really good father that comes from before Jesus, though, that I want to share. And then I want to talk about how Jesus shows us how good of a father God is. Um, I, I, read, I, I teach a Bible class, and, and we uh, go through Genesis um, every quarter. I, I go through Genesis with them, so I've read it a lot. And there's this really cool story um, from Genesis um, from the time of uh, Adam and Eve, actually. Adam and Eve were the first people that God ever created um, that in the Garden of Eden. And uh, God uh, walked with them, and he lived with them, and it was this perfect plan. He was like, this is, the, this is how I want my world to be. This is how I want my creation to be. I want, I want it to be this perfect garden where I walk with my creation and I love on them and, and I get to know them. And God gave them one rule. There's just one rule. There's this tree in the midst of the garden that they were not to eat from. And unfortunately, they broke that rule. And um, God came to the decision that Adam and Eve could no longer live in the garden. They could no longer be there and he had to send them out. He had to cast them out and, and away. And um, so, so God makes this, makes this choice and the story is, um, and the story is pretty cool because um, God, God is going to send them out from the garden, and uh, right before He does, um, He actually uh, He does something for them. Um, in Genesis chapter three, verse twenty-one, it says, "And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and He clothed them." And I think this is such a beautiful example of God being a, a good father for Adam and Eve. Um, it makes me think about if you have ever um, had like uh, some sort of like issue with, uh, with your parents before. You've been in some sort of fight or argument or something like that when you were a kid. So you're still living at home and you get in this fight or this argument with your parents. And you go to your room and you're upset and you're blasting music loud and angrily or something. I, I, I don't know um, how you deal with it, how you cope. But then uh, your, your mom or your dad comes up and knocks on the door and they're like, dinner time. And they make you dinner and they bring you down to the table and, and they, they feed you because they still love you. Because they're still going to take care of you, even no matter how upset they are with you. Or um, the way I see it is like this. Um, Adam and Eve have, have disappointed their, their father. He's, he's, he's sad. He's disappointed with them. And now they have to leave the, the garden. And it's kind of like God saying, don't forget your coat. I don't want you to be cold out there as, as you enter this world. And he clothes them. It's beautiful to me. It is a father who loves his kids and he still wants what's best for them. No matter if they're in trouble, no matter if he's disappointed in them, it is a father who loves his kids so much that he clothes them and then sends them on their way. And I think that is, I think that is awesome. Your God is a God who loves you and he wants to be close to you. And the only proof that we need that he wants to be close to us is from then on, from that moment when Eve and Adam left the garden on. From then on, um, God's entire purpose and goal was to bring humanity back into relationship with them, him, to reconcile them to him. 
Okay? He set a plan in motion from then on that would end with Jesus dying on the cross to bring humanity back to him because he loves them so much. And so Jesus came and he conquered sin and it was as, and the proof of God's love is as simple as that. So your God loves you and he wants to show that love to you through action. Okay? And nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing can stop his love. So I've got some things that I want you to know. If you're ever in a time when you feel alone, I want you to know that you're not because God is right there with you if you've ever felt alone. If you have ever felt unloved, I want you to know that your God loves you and has always loved you and always will continue to love you. If you are ever feeling like you are unsavable, like you have done too much for God to save you, to forgive you, to show you grace, I want you to know that Jesus actually saved you more than 2,000 years ago. You've already been saved, so I hope you don't feel like you are unsavable. And when you feel far from God, I want you to know that God is actually not going anywhere. In fact, there's this guy named Moses who wrote in Deuteronomy about just that. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. and He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. That God loves you, and he is with you, and he is close to you, and he already saved you. So I am not sure if you've had a good father here on earth. I'm not even sure if, you, if you've had a father who's been in your life at all. But I want you to imagine whatever the, the best dad is that you can imagine. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe the best dad that you can imagine is a coach that you had. Maybe the best dad that you can imagine is a pastor that you've had. Maybe the best dad that you can imagine is a grandparent or it's someone that you saw on TV and you saw them on TV and you're like, they're a, they're a good dad in, in this TV show or this movie. Whatever it might be, whatever the best dad is that you can imagine, I want you to know that your heavenly father blows them out of the water, Okay. No offense to your earthly dad who rocked and taught you to throw a baseball or a football. No offense to that dad that you imagined from, from some TV show. But God blows them out of the water, and it's not even close. It is no contest, okay? So sorry. Sorry, daddy. I'm sorry. But God blows you out of the water. You don't even come close. You don't even measure up. <laughs> um. In Galatians chapter 4, it actually says this about our heavenly father. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus, we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children. Because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Does not that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but a child? And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. God saw you and he adopted you as his child. And he wants to give you his inheritance. He wants to give you everything that he has. It is all yours. Your God loves you and he wants to show it through, to you through action. Okay, He adopted you and he wants to take care of you. He wants to know you and he wants to be known by you. 
I think we don't always like recognize this about ourselves, but um, we have a desire for intimacy built into us, okay? It's, it's maybe sometimes like uh, not obvious to us, or we're not conscious of it, but we want to be known, and we want to know. And that's the relationship that God wants with us. He's your creator, your father, your savior. He's waiting to meet that need that you have for intimacy, okay? In those times where you do sometimes feel alone, in those times where you do sometimes uh, feel, like, unloved, God's just, like, there waiting, like, hey, like, I, like I'm here. And sometimes I think, like, uh, maybe when you were a kid and, and you were, uh, you were that angsty teenager or you were feeling lonely or something, your parents were like waiting downstairs like, I hope they'll just come down and talk to me because I want, I want to meet that need, right? And that's how, that's how God feels. He's like, I'm here and I, I, can, I can talk and I can listen and I want to love you. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this song that, that, I, that I love. And it's not a, not a Christian song by any means. It's actually like a, a love song. Um, uh, but it, it, like, captures this so well. There's this line from the song. Um, the song is called Always Summer, and uh, it says, I loved you first, I loved you still, and I always will. And that's God. God, he loved you first. He loves you still, and he always will. And you can't say that about everybody. You cannot say that about every, every person in your life, Okay. Then no one, there, I don't know if there's anyone who loved you first other, other than God, right? He's the only one that loved you first. And, and there might be people that will come and go, but he is not going anywhere. And I know a lot of this is, like, easy to say, but sometimes hard to, like, believe, especially for me. I have, <clears throat> I've not always been able to see God as my father. Like, like Jesus and I know that, like, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they're, they're three in one. Jesus has always been easier for me to, like, connect with. Like, what, like when I think about, like, being loved by Jesus, that's easy for me. I, I've, I've read the stories. I, I've seen the things that he says. And I feel this, like, great connection with Jesus oftentimes. But sometimes God the Father does feel distant to me. And sometimes he does feel a little bit unknowable. Sometimes I look at decisions made by God the Father in the Bible, and I don't always understand them. Uh, I'm like, oh, well, I, I don't really know why he did that. And, and he feels, but when I see Jesus do stuff, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe it's counterintuitive to our culture, but I, but I, but I get it. That's not always the case for God the Father, for me personally, Okay. And uh, then I, I read this parable, and it's actually not like a parable found in the Bible. It's actually a, a book written by a guy named uh, Max, is it Lucado? I don't know, Lucado, something like that. You've probably heard of him if, if you've grown up in church. But he wrote this children's book to help children understand God the Father. And it's like really been good for me. And it helped me understand God the Father in a way that I hadn't really before um, and so I want to share it with you guys. We're going we're gonna to do, like, story time. Um, it, actually, a guy who I work with um, shared this with our students at school, and I was like, that is awesome. So I shared it with my youth, and now I'm going to share it with you. And I got my own copy now um, so I don't have to keep buying or borrowing my friends. Mom, I'll Venmo you for this later. <laughs> my mom got it for me. She has Amazon Prime, and I do not. All right. 
So um, this book is called Children of the King. I'm going to have pictures on the screen so you can follow along, but I'm also going to do like the uh, elementary thing. Okay. A long time ago, in a land like your own, there was a village, and in the village lived five orphans, a lonely family of fatherless children. They had banded together against the cold. One day, the king learned of their misfortune, and the king decided to adopt them. He announced that he would be their father and that he would come for them very soon. When the children learned that they had a new father and their father was the king and that the king was coming to visit, they went wild with excitement. When the people of the village learned that the children had a father and that their father was the king and that the king was coming to the village, they were excited as well. They went out to see the children and they told them exactly what to do. You need to impress the king, they explained. Only those with great gifts to give will be allowed to live in the castle. The, uh, the people didn't know the king. They just thought that all the kings wanted, all that kings wanted were to be impressed. So the children began preparing gifts to offer the king. They worked long and they worked hard to be sure that the king would approve of their gifts. One of the children, who knew how to carve, decided to give the king a wonderful work of wooden art. He set his knife against the soft bark of elm, and he whittled. The small blocks of wood came alive with the eyes of a sparrow and the nose of a horse. His sister decided to present the king with a painting that captured the beauty of the heavens, a painting that would be worthy to hang in his castle. Another sister chose music as her way to impress the king. For long hours, she practiced with her voice and her mandolin. Village people would stop at her window, and they would listen to her as her music took wings and soared. Yet another child set out to turn the king's head with his wisdom. Late hours would find his candle lit and his books open. Geography, math, chemistry, the breadth of his study was matched only by the depth of his desire. Surely the king would appreciate all of his knowledge. But there was one sister who had nothing to offer. Her hand was clumsy with the knife. Her fingers were stiff with a brush. When the little girl opened her mouth to sing, the sound was hoarse. She wasn't much of a reader. She believed that she had no talent, and she believed that she had no gift. All she had to offer was her heart for her heart was good. She spent her time at the city gates, watching the people come and go. She would earn pennies to buy food for her brothers and sisters by grooming people's horses or feeding their animals. She was a simple stable girl, but she had a good heart. She knew the beggars by name. She took time to pet each and every dog. She welcomed home the travelers and greeted the strangers. How was your journey, she would ask. Tell me what you learned on your visit. How is your husband? Do you enjoy your new work? She was full of questions for people because her heart was big and she cared about all of them. They were all the same to her, the beggars and the rich. She cared for all of them just the way that they were. But since the little girl thought that she had no talent and no gift, she was afraid that the king would be disappointed. She remembered the villagers' advice. 
and she set her mind about the task of making a gift for the king. She took a small knife and went to her brother, the carver. Could you teach me to carve, she asked. Sorry, the young craftsman responded, without looking up. I have much work to do. I haven't the time for you because the king is coming. The girl put away her knife and picked up a brush. She went to her sister, the artist. She found her on a hill, painting a sunset on a canvas. You paint so beautifully, she said. Uh, said the girl who had no gift but a big heart. I know, the painter answered. Could you share the gift with me? Not now, the sister responded with eyes on her palette. The king is coming, you know. The girl with no gift then remembered her other sister, the one with the song. She will help me, she said. When she arrived at her sister's house, she found a crowd of people waiting to listen to her sister sing. Sister, she called. Sister, I have come to listen and to learn. But her sister could not hear. The noise of the applause was too loud. With a heavy heart, the girl turned and walked away. Then she remembered her other brother. She took a book with small words and big letters, and she went to see him. I have nothing to offer the king, she said. Could you teach me to read tonight? Uh, sorry, could you, reach, could you teach me to read so that I might show him my wisdom? The young sage-to-be did not speak. He was lost in thought. The child with no gift spoke again. Could you help me? I have no talent. Go away, said the scholar, scarcely moving his eyes from the text. Can you not see that I am preparing myself for the coming of the king? And so the girl went away sadly. She had nothing to give. She returned to her place at the city gates, and she took up her task of caring for people's animals. After some days, a man in merchant's clothes came to the small town. Can you feed my donkey, he asked the girl. The orphan jumped to her feet and looked into the brown face of the one who had traveled far. His skin was leathery from the sun, and his eyes were deep. His kind smile warmed the girl's heart. That I can, she answered eagerly, leading the animal to the trough. Trust him to me. When you return, he will be groomed and fed. Tell me, she asked as the donkey drank, have you come to stay? For only a while, I am looking for someone. Are you weary for, from your journey? That I am. Well, would you like to sit and rest? The girl motioned to a bench near the wall. The tall man sat on the bench, leaned against the wall, closed his eyes, and slept. After a few minutes, he awoke, and he found the girl sitting at his feet, watching his face. She was embarrassed that he had caught her staring, and she turned away. Have you been sitting there long? Yes, she said. What do you seek? Nothing. You seem to be a kind man with a peaceful heart. It is good to be near you. The man smiled and stroked his beard. You are a wise girl, he said. When I return, we will visit some more. The man did return quite soon. Did you find the ones that you were seeking, the girl asked. I found them, but they were too busy for me. What do you mean? Well, the first one that I came to see was a woodsmith. He was rushing to complete a project. He told me to return tomorrow. Another was an artist. I saw her sitting on a hillside, but the people below said that she did not want to be disturbed. The other was a musician. I sat with the others and I listened to her music. 
When I asked to talk with her, she said that she had no time. And the other that I saw had left. He's moved into the city to attend the university. The girl's eyes widened as she realized exactly who the man was. But you don't look like a king, she gasped. I try not to, he explained. Being a king can be very lonely. People act strangely around me. They ask for favors. They try to impress me. They bring me all of their complaints. But isn't that what a king is for, asked the girl. Certainly, responded the king. But there are times when I just want to be with my people. There are times when I want to talk to my people, to hear about their lives and their days, to laugh a bit, to cry some. There are times when I just want to be their father. Is that why you adopted the children? Yes, that is why. Adults think that they have to impress me, but children do not. They just want to talk to me. They know that I love them just the way they are. But my brothers and sisters were too busy? They were, but I will come back. Maybe then they will have more time another day. The girl hesitated. Sir, what about me? I have no gift, but I would like to be your child. The king smiled. My dear, you gave me the best gift of all. You gave me your heart, your kindness, and your time. You gave me your love. Of course you will be my child. I love you just the way that you are. And so it happened that the children with many talents but no time missed the visit of their king, while the girl whose only gift was the gift of her heart became the child of the king. The end. Is a father unlike any other? There's no other there's no other dad out there that is quite like him. There's no dad on earth that could that could love us quite the way that he does. In the book of First John, um, he writes this, this uh, the one whom Jesus loved uh, writes this. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world do not recognize that we are God's children because they don't know it. We're all God's children. Uh, he's, a, he's adopted us, and all we need to do is embrace that love that he has for us. If you don't remember anything else this morning, I'd love for you to remember this. In God's love, we find intimacy and we find identity. We know who we are, and we experience that need that we have for intimacy, to know and, and to be known. I have a lot of parts to my identity. Um, when I introduce myself to people, I might say things like, I'm a pastor, or I'm a, I'm a teacher, I, I'm a coach, I'm a friend, I'm a brother, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I have a lot of parts to my identity. But the one that I don't mention, and I should, the one that I am tempted to forget, is that I am a child of the king. We are all children of the king if we choose to accept it, if we choose to accept Jesus into our lives. I forget that, that part of my identity. I forget that I can find myself in my father. And so I try to find myself in my work, or I try to find myself in my hobbies, or in the world, when really I should just find myself 
in him, in my Father. Uh, John, that same writer, this isn't in his letter, this is in his gospel. He says this, to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. To all who received him, he has given that opportunity. And I think that has some implications for us. And I hope you hear this. As a Jesus follower, as a child of the king, my self-worth is not based off of my net worth, but it's based off of God's love for me and you. What you do does not determine who you are, but rather whose you are determines what you do. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you are one of God's children right now. There's no gift that you can give him that will earn you his love. Okay, you are his child right now. It's not anything that you did. It's what he did for you. Even if you are raising your own children right now, you are still a child as well. You are still a child of the king. So for you, you may have a bunch of parts to your identity. You might be a student. You might be a husband. You might be a wife. You might be a cook or a cashier or a manager. Maybe you are a grandma or a grandpa or an athlete or a musician. There's many parts to your identity, but don't forget the one that's most important. Don't forget the one that truly defines who you are, which is that you are a child of God. Okay? I do not want any of us to forget that. I don't want us to forget that we are co-heirs with Christ, okay? When we are children of the king, that's not, yes, this is a story, it is a parable, but it is also literal, okay? We are children of the king of kings, okay? And here what's, here's what's really cool about finding our identity in being children of God. Being a child of God and recognizing and embracing that will help me be a better teacher, and it will help me be a better coach. And it will help me be a better brother and a better friend and a better pastor and a better disciple. So I think I should keep that in my mind more often. And I hope that you will as well. Ushers, would you mind passing out the paper and the pens? We're going to do something that uh, is going to be out of my comfort zone. And it might be out of your comfort zone as well. Um, we're going to uh, write a letter to our father to God, our Father, but we're going to address it differently, okay? We're going to address it, dear Daddy, because that is what he is for us. And it's a little bit outside my comfort zone because I don't call any father figure in my life Daddy. I, I just never have. But this is our Heavenly Father. This is our perfect Father. And so we're going to get out of our comfort zone, and we're going to do it. I really invite you to do it now. I, I, I hope that you'll, you'll do it now. You'll write it like with the time that we have. But you also might feel like you, um, you might feel like you need a little bit more time to really think about it. But I, I want you to write a letter to him that is, that is personal, that is the way that you would talk to your father. If you feel the need to tell him about what's going on in your life, please do so. If you need something from him, he is a father that loves to take care of you and give you gifts, okay, and, and to help you. He is your security as well. So if you need something from him, ask him for it. If you just want to share with him and speak to him a, as a friend and as a father, 
do so. If you just want to thank him and be grateful for all that he's given you, do that as well. And if you don't yet know him, if you don't know who he is, we're going to have some prayer teams up here uh, in a couple of moments. And I would invite you to come up and, and get some prayer and, and maybe you can experience him if, if you are interested because he will change your life. He will, okay? Having a perfect father in your life will change it. So um, do you guys mind playing some music? Could you do that? We're going to um, play some music, uh, some, some quiet music, and um, I just want you to take the time and, and write. We've got about five minutes left, and as, um, as our prayer teams, as you finish yours, will you, um, will you come up and, and join me? And we're just going to close with this. Um, I'm going to pray, and, and we will be done. And if you'd like prayer, the prayer teams will slowly be making their way up. I'll be up here as well to pray with you and invite you to come back next week. Uh, dear Jesus, um, thank you the, thank you for the love that you've shown um, to us. Uh, God, thank you for being a, a father unlike any other. Please help us to remember, to realize that we do not need to earn your love in the slightest, God, that there is, there is nothing that we could do to earn it because it has already been freely given. Um, I pray that you will um, that you will reach out to us a, a, as a, as a father, and uh, that we will recognize and embrace that God, and that it will change the way that that we see you. Thank you for being a good dad. Amen. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of of peace when fears are still when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand